Hey, uh, assignment today. Well, you may not know exactly what I'm going to be teaching on, and that's okay because I don't either. <laughs> but I was asked to to talk about short-term missions today, and my heart. I just as I was thinking about short-term short-term missions, there's my heart is just to encourage just people to go, and my heart is also just to talk about missions in general. But I uh, just thought that today we probably wouldn't have enough time to really do the topic justice. So we'll just limit our discussion today just to, just to short-term missions. And uh, I've gone on three short-term missions myself. They've all been awesome experiences. Um, but there's one exception that I can, I can remember, one exception of one person who had a, did not have a great time on a, on a summer mission. And since my, my aim today is to encourage you to go on a short-term mission, you might be surprised to hear about a story about a disappointing experience, but I think it'll be clear as we go on. And this is an example of a young man uh, who had gone on a, on a mission. He went to the country of Albania to help these missionaries there. Uh, Rob Provost, a missionary, was sent out by Grace Church. Awesome, awesome ministry. And when he came back, I was asking him about it. He said he was so disappointed. I asked him, well, why is it you're disappointed? Tell me about some of the things that you did out there. He says, well... We helped set things up, and we helped talk. You know, we helped um, usher people in to the building, and we helped the missionaries with different things that they needed to get done. And you know, we helped serve people. We helped take care of the, just different needs that were there. But we never got to preach the gospel to anyone. And he's so disappointed because he never got to personally proclaim the gospel when he was out there. So, what happened to this young man? Why was this man so distraught? Um, to find out, we have to answer the question, what is short-term missions? And why is it that we would send out a team to minister on a short-term basis? And we'll see that this man's difficulty stemmed from a lack of understanding of the nature of short-term ministry, the nature of short-term missions. And interestingly enough, that the Bible actually has an example of a short-term ministry or short-term mission. And it is coincidentally in the book of Philippians, which we're studying now. So we'll... Look together, our text is Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. I'm just going to share just a few thoughts just today with you, just about short-term missions, short-term ministry. Now, most of you know that uh, Paul, as he's writing the, the book of Philippians, he's a prisoner in Rome. The Philippians have had a vibrant, mutually edifying relationship with the Apostle Paul. It was a very tender relationship, and the Philippians had graciously supported Paul financially numerous times during his itinerant missionary, uh, his itinerant mission, ministry as an evangelist. Philippians 4:15 and 16, we read, "Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities." And also in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 8, and 9, Paul mentions that while he was in Corinth that he wasn't receiving any support from any of the Corinthians, but it was actually the Philippian church, it was the Macedonians, who had been sending him support over and over again to support his ministry there. And then finally, here in this passage in Philippians chapter 2, we find out that the Philippians had further supported Paul by sending to him one of their own, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, to minister to Paul while he's in Rome as a prisoner. 
And so how Epaphroditus ministered to Paul, although it's never called a short-term mission, a short-term ministry, it closely parallels how we seek to minister to our missionaries on the mission field this summer. And so I just want, as we're kind of just tracing a path through this passage, I just want you just to notice six aspects or just six marks of the ministry that Epaphroditus had to the Philippians, or Epaphroditus, the Philippian, had to Paul, the missionary, and now a prisoner at Rome. So six marks of the ministry that Epaphroditus, the short-term minister, had to Paul. So the first one is just that Epaphroditus was sent to minister to a specific evangelist, Paul. And like the rest of the apostles in the early church, you find that the Philippians supported existing evangelistic efforts wherever that was possible. So the ministry of Epaphroditus to Paul was not a groundbreaking ministry. I mean, here was Paul actually in prison in Rome. But here the Philippians were intent on supporting this missionary, this evangelist Paul, who was already actively engaged in preaching the gospel. So it was a specific minister that the Philippians went to go minister to through Epaphroditus. It was for a specific duration of time. We know that because Paul sends Epaphroditus back. As we read this passage, we'll see that. So it was not necessarily a full-time commitment. So it went to a specific missionary, to Paul, for a specific period of time. And then he was sent for a specific need. And so first, before we elaborate that, let's just uh, read the passage together. Verses 25 through 30, Philippians chapter 2. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because, the work of, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So you see that Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippians, sent to Paul as he was ministering, in the gospel, this is the first imprisonment of Paul, so he still had an opportunity to receive visitors. He still had an opportunity to kind of direct the activities of the church at Rome, to send epistles of encouragement to the various churches. And here Epaphroditus comes, and we find that he has, what he was doing, verse 30, was supplying what was lacking in the service of the Philippians to Paul. And so the Philippians had supported Paul financially, but there also is a specific ministry that Paul needed to have done. And it was for that reason that the Philippians sent Epaphroditus to Paul. Now the scriptures uh, here in this passage, or elsewhere in Philippians, it's not really specific exactly what necessitated sending Epaphroditus to Paul. Uh, but, you know, and did Epaphroditus engage in some awesome street ministry there, converting half of Rome? Was there some amazing evangelistic ministry that he was involved in? No, probably not. In fact, his goal and his aim in going there is probably a lot more mundane. It could have been just bringing food and clothing to him while he was in jail. Maybe it was his writing materials at different places in the epistles. He asked people to bring parchments and different things to support his, his ministry as a, as a writer of scripture, as an author of scripture, and as, a, and as an evangelist. Maybe 
It was just the comfort of Epaphroditus' fellowship that ministered most to Paul. And you can only imagine just that the difficulty it would be for Paul just to be in the situation that he was in, not to have anyone visiting him. We know that many of the missionaries over the years have been so grateful to summer teams for just this very reason, that as they, they stand kind of as, as trying to be pillars in a place of, of darkness, pillars in a place where they're isolated, where they're really the only, the sole witness, and a lot of times in many areas around the world, just to have teams that come who are like-minded that can refresh them in the gospel and encourage them. What a tremendous ministry. In fact, we know as in the situation of Paul from Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 14, that some of the brethren at Rome were fearful and reluctant to preach the gospel and be openly associated with Christ. And it just may be that some of these also were shunning Paul and were afraid to visit him for the same reason. So just because Paul is in a, a city, Rome, you all know the epistle to the Romans, there was an established church there, but that doesn't mean necessarily that they were having fellowship with Paul. In fact, it seems like maybe that they weren't, that they were afraid to be openly associated with the gospel. They're afraid to be openly associated with the messenger of the gospel, who is Paul. And so for the Philippians to have this boldness to send Epaphroditus, to openly associate with Christ and with his emissary, the Apostle Paul, was such a great encouragement to him. It may have been the greatest encouragement. In fact, I would, I would venture to guess it probably was the greatest encouragement to Paul. The missions field, indeed, can be a lonely place. Sometimes the task of just meeting people, building relationships, day in and day out over the years, it can become difficult because you don't have necessarily the same fellowship, the same network of social interactions and fellowship that you have here in the States or perhaps wherever, you, wherever the gospel uh, wherever these gospel ministers have come from. And there's a novelty factor. Just, uh, just speaking from personal experience, just speaking to missionaries, having gone on in the field and seen that there's a tr- period of transition where a missionary will come into a field and because they're different, they're Americans, or those, at least if they are Americans, those ones that I've, I've been in contact with, and they come and because they're new, because they're preaching something new, there's this period, there's this, there's all of a sudden this intense period of people just being interested in them and interested in their ministry. And then what happens? After about six months or a year, the interest seems to just trail off a lot of times. Now, there are exceptions to that. There are times when missionaries will go and they'll begin to start to minister. And right away, the Holy Spirit will just do amazing things and just the church will start to mushroom and just explode and grow spiritually. But typically, that's not what happens. Typically, it is a long process of getting to understand the culture. When this novelty factor fades off and people start to become less interested in the fact that you're new and that you've come to this place and uprooted and planted in a new area, it's this process of getting to understand the way people interact, where they interact, where they hang out, what they do, how they speak to one another. Getting to know, in a lot of cases, getting to know the language can take years. It is a difficult process, church planting, church building, and leadership development. And that's the core of missions. And I'm not going to spend time today talking about that, but that is the core of missions. It is building up the church and starting from the very beginning sometimes of building true relationships, building solid relationships that take time and take effort. And so here the, the Epaphroditus had a ministry to the Apostle Paul who himself was isolated, who himself was trying to proclaim the gospel with truth and sincerity 
And there were those who were supposed to be coming around him who had the opportunity and probably were not. And so the Philippians, through Epaphroditus, were able to minister to Paul in a way that they could not had they not sent Epaphroditus. So we see that the, the essence of short-term missions sent to minister to a specific evangelist is for a specified period of time. It's sent for a specific need. And that need sometimes is, it can, be, can be varied, but there is a specific need. And he's also, the short-term minister, the short-term missionary, is sent with the support and the commission of the local church at Philippi. And here in this passage in, in Philippians, the word that is used to describe Epaphroditus is apostolos. You might, have, you might know that's kind of similar to the word apostle. In fact, it's actually the same, uh, it's the same word. And the reason for that is that he had a commission. He wasn't just sent out on his own. He was sent with a commission from the local church. The elders had determined to send Epaphroditus. And there was a need. It was identified a missionary a specific period of time. And so he had the authority, not of, from God as, an, as, an, elder, or from a, as a, an apostle in the same sense that Paul was and the other apostles who were ordained by Jesus Christ, but he had a specific ministry and a specific ordination and authority from the local church to represent them. And that's what we do when we go on short-term missions, is we represent Cornerstone to our missionaries. We extend the influence of Cornerstone to our missionaries. So Epaphroditus was sent with the support of the local church. He was also sent bearing gifts. Another aspect of it, we see in Philippians 4, verse 18, Paul says, Indeed, I am full and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He was sent bearing gifts. And then finally, number six, the ministry of Epaphroditus to Paul was a cause for blessing to the Philippians as much as it was to Paul. Now there's a joy, there's something in the sharing of the fellowship of the gospel and extending the, the ministry of the gospel in the missions field that is something truly unique. And our fellowship really becomes richer, even back here at Cornerstone, because of it. As we go and as we learn from missionaries around the world and we see how Christianity is worked out in different cultures, in different uh, locations in the world with different mindsets, different approaches, different philosophies in ministry, and we come back and we share the good news about what God is doing in so many different parts of the world. There's an awesome joy that we have. Uh, it's the mutuality of sending and going. The ones who are going in place of those who are sending. The ones who are sending, praying and supporting those who are going. And there's an awesome joy in just the reunion and being able to share together and what God is doing. It's an awesome thing. Now I remember uh, just as a kind of a sidelight. You know, I remember actually myself just uh, several years ago had an opportunity to go to the country of Croatia in Eastern Europe. And something interesting happened to me while I was there. I actually got really sick. I got really sick. In fact, so sick I had like uh, some sort of like a salmonella poisoning or something. Just something really awful if you just want to avoid it at all costs. But I got sick and I was sick in a foreign country. And I found out that uh, Interestingly enough, that their medical system was a little bit different there, because I was so sick I had to go to the hospital. And uh, we arrived at the hospital, and right away I knew that there was something wrong about this situation, because 
all the lights were out, <laughs> and we couldn't find the door to the emergency room. So just imagine that. You're going to the emergency room, and you can't find out how to get in. Well, we finally get inside, and the next signal I had that something was wrong is that they sit me down in this chair, and I guess it's like an orderly or a nurse comes over, and he's going to like take my blood pressure or, or do something to me. And I look at him, I, I look up, and I just see this guy. He's wearing shorts and sandals, and he's smoking a cigarette and leaning over me. <laughs> the little medical standards are just a little bit different there. So anyways, we get in there, and I talk to the doctor. I think, okay, things are going to get a little bit better here. So, And I was a little bit relieved when I saw that after looking at me for a little bit, it was this, this lady doctor, and she was starting to write this lengthy prescription for me. It was, you know, just a, a bunch of different things she was writing down. I was like, oh, that's great. You know, I'm going to get some antibiotics and, or just whatever, they, you know, whatever I need just to get over this, this terrible bowel illness. And when I, uh, she comes over and she's, she, she's, you know, I'm going to explain to you what it is you have to do just to get over this illness. And uh, she's like, here's the things you have to take. And I've listed it by day. I was like, oh, by day, huh? You have to take, like, different medicine different days. She's like, okay, the first day, I want you to take a package of chamomile and mix it with another type of tea. And the second day, you're going to take this kind of tea and mix it with this one. And this was, the way, this was her prescription for me, was to take a whole bunch of different kinds of herbal teas to try and get better from this, from this, this sickness. So needless to say, just just very different experience. Um, when I talked to some people who were back home, um, they actually sent messages to me while I was there. There were people who were praying for me. In fact, when I came back from Croatia, I found out there actually had been some people who had fasted for me. They had fasted for me because they heard that I was really sick over there. And uh, there was just such a tremendous joy of just partnership, just deepening relationships. As we go, as we send people, we, we go out from the security and just the fellowship of our midst here, but we go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's God the Father who, in love of His children, keeps them as they go out, as they go to seek to minister to Him, seek to minister to Christ, and to proclaim His name. And so there's just an awesome sharing that happens. And I've seen this. You know, I think we're, we are mature as a body as the Lord shares with us new things that He's doing through His church throughout the world. So short-term missions is biblical, fulfills ministry needs. Um, it's a great wellspring of, of blessings to individuals in the church. And just to conclude, just some, some thoughts on this, this passage. This is really what I wanted to get into. And I want to encourage many of you who haven't really thought about seriously about going. Um, I want to encourage you just by speaking to ten objections, or ten excuses really, that uh, people often give for not going on summer missions. Ten objections, I want to tell you why these objections shouldn't be objections at all. So the first objection, there's no need for me to go, especially short term. There's no need for me to go, especially short term. Now I want to tell you true, this is again not a, a full-fledged discussion on the nature of missions. We can save that for another time. But it is true that the real work in missions, as you're saying, it's, is learning the language learning a culture, uh, bridging the gap between individuals and cultures, and it's building relationships, and this process is one that takes years 
to do. In fact, uh, if you look at Peter Smith and his, his plan, it's actually not until the, very, the fourth or fifth year, right about now, that they actually thought that they were going to start to see a lot of fruit from their ministry, what we consider fruit, conversions, people getting baptized, people repenting. It took time. It took a lot of time of just learning the language, a very difficult language, the different customs and cultures. But nevertheless, we see, and we see this in the book of Philippians, that the fellowship, the support, and also the collaboration, I want to focus on that, of Epaphroditus, encouraged Paul during a difficult time in his ministry, and it can encourage our missionaries as well. And we saw that Paul had been encouraged by the Philippians. He says this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, I don't seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And so here the Apostle Paul in the midst of this, these difficult, distressful times in the Roman prison, as he concludes his letter to the Philippians, he encourages their hearts by saying that their ministry to him was meaningful, it was worthwhile, it was a blessing to him. And also, back in chapter 2, verse 30, we should note, he says, Paul says about Epaphroditus, the Epaphroditus was able to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So we should never feel that just because we're there on a short-term basis and not long-term as missionaries, that our ministry is not meaningful, it's not worthwhile, because it is. It has a, fulfills a specific need in the church. And it's a great blessing, not only to the missionaries, but also to us. Objection number two, I'm not competent or spiritually qualified to go on missions. And so you might say that missionaries are spiritual giants, but my faith is small. But again, how did the Apostle Paul regard the service of Epaphroditus? Let's read what Paul says about him. Was his ministry second rate? How did Paul perceive Epaphroditus? Verse 25. He says, I consider it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier. Paul looks at Epaphroditus and his ministry as being equal. He looks as, as, at Epaphroditus as being on the same playing field, having the same uh, qualifications for ministry that, that he himself does. And now those words kind of sound a little strange maybe to our ears. Fellow worker, fellow soldier. But in these words actually, in the original, these are words that are just one word together. It means someone who's bound up, who's working alongside. He's someone like going shoulder to shoulder with someone. A fellow worker and a fellow soldier. It's like someone he's going into battle with in the same fight. He's standing alongside with him. And so the ministry of Epaphroditus was fully uh, of worthwhile to Paul. And Paul ministered with him and alongside him and found that he had the spiritual gifting and the enablement by God to make his ministry worthwhile and to make it encouraging both to Paul and to the church at Rome. So objection number three. I may end up being more of a burden to the missionaries than a blessing. Now here in uh, Philippians chapter two, we do have kind of the worst case, right, of going on missions where you go and you're ready to serve and all of a sudden 
we find Epaphroditus, as he gets over there, he turns very seriously sick. But notice that even despite this, Paul says that Epaphroditus was able to minister to his need. He was able to minister to his need. What ministered most to Paul about Epaphroditus, probably, again, was not him standing with him and being able to proclaim the gospel and, and uh, in some prominent way, having some very publicized street ministry in, in, in Rome. But he was, able to, he was able to come alongside Paul and just to grant him fellowship. And I think that's probably why he was able to minister to his need that way. And the same thing with us as we go. Sometimes the things that we're involved in may not seem like they're, gonna, they're the most critical, the most pressing. may not seem like we're always doing the first uh, ministry on the front lines. But regardless, it's a great blessing to our missionaries. It's a great blessing for us. And now I know like this, this past summer, and I think this is an awesome situation when it gets to be this way. I know this was the case when we, with uh, our ministry in the Czech Republic that we had a ministry where we were able to very directly proclaim the gospel. We were able to help teach English to unbelievers. I thought that was awesome. That was an awesome opportunity just to be able to go and do that. And that's wonderful if we're able to do that. But um, I'm very thankful that there's been other ministries where it's been more of a support and more encouragement, more of a building time. But regardless of how we go, uh, or regardless of how we're ministering when we go, we shouldn't think of our, of our time there as, and the legitimate needs that we have sometimes as being a burden to our missionaries. It blesses their hearts just to know that we want to come and serve. And it always blesses our hearts just as Christians just to serve one another, to attempt, to make the effort. I remember, uh, and this is so encouraging to me, if you ever have heard of John Milton, he made, he made this comment one time. He uh, was blind, but he said, in one of his works, he said, they also serve who stand and wait. And so even though this man was blind, he saw his attempt to minister for Christ. That's what really mattered. And so our missionaries, what really matters is our coming and our desire to want to serve. It encourages their hearts to see just a heart of service as we go. Objection number four, missions is not my spiritual gift. Missions is not my spiritual gift. Well, in a, in a, a nutshell, not to launch on the, into a whole discussion of spiritual gifting, it's enough just to say that we don't have a unique gift. I think we have a set of gifts. We have a unique gifting that God gives to all of us. I believe that there are certain spiritual gifts which God gives us to all of us in certain measure. You know, all of us uh, are able to exhort and to encourage one another, for example, to one extent, to a certain extent. Some people may have more gifting to encourage and come alongside. Others have more of a gifting to, to teach and to lead. But all of us have gifts. And all these gifts, in different ways, if it hasn't been clear from what I've been saying already, all these gifts can be used in one way or another on the missions field. And it's an awesome thing especially for unbelievers just to come and to see Christians come and use whatever gifts they have just to be able to serve and uh, just to be able to try and be a blessing to people in their lives. Objection number five, I'm too busy to serve uh, or, or it's not a good time or it's not a good year. <laughs> I'm too busy to serve or it's not a good time, it's not a good year. It's just a truism that you have more time now than you will later. As you get older, just life becomes more complicated, more responsibilities, more things to do. There's always more time. 
now than there will be later. Now, you remember that how you apportion your time really reveals your priorities in life. We shouldn't forget this. Remember the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, verses 22. You remember the sower went out to sow, and there's seed that fell on stony ground, there's seed that fell on kind of shallow ground, there's seed that fell into ground that was unprofitable. And Matthew says this in chapter 13, verse 22, about this seed. He says, Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now who do you think the, that Jesus is speaking to in this parable? Is he speaking about someone else? No, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to us. I remember the Puritans. One of the things that, was, that helped maintain just a vital ministry, just a vital spiritual life, was the fact that they took all scriptures and they personally applied those warnings to themselves. They never looked at those warnings and said to themselves, these warnings actually apply to another group of people. They apply to us. And so as we work out our salvation in fear and trembling, this is, this is a question to ask ourselves. Have we allowed the cares of the world to crowd out our concern for missions and for ministry? Have we allowed those things to choke the word so that it becomes unfruitful? Now, I realize that for, for many of you, going on, on the missions field would be extremely difficult. This may not be feasible. Uh, but just pray and make the effort. And I remember, like, actually last year, I think I told somebody this. I was planning on going out to the Czech Republic, and I asked, or actually my, my, uh, my client I was working for, he said, now I just want you to know, I don't want anyone this, this summer to ask for two weeks off. I thought, oh, well. So I walked into his office. I said, I want to go on missions this summer. Can I have three weeks off? <laughs> and he said, yes. <laughs> so you never know. You never know. Just try. Pray about it and, and make the effort. I think that's just true for everything in life as well as, as it is for missions. I think we need to call up the reserves. There's some of you who are not serving as actively as you ought to, and you need to start serving more diligently. You need to free up other people so that they, they can take what they've learned in the ministry that we have here and share it with our missionaries. So we need to start pulling people up by their bootstraps and getting them involved in ministry. So the excuse, I'm too busy to serve, it's not a good time, that really is, at the end of the day, it's just an excuse. It's, it's a cop-out, really, for what the Lord is calling us to do. Think seriously about missions. Pray about it. Pray about it. See if, it's, see if it's for you. Don't start with the assumption that you have too many things to do and that life is just too busy. Objection number six. I don't really have a passion for missions or people. And I really want to want to speak to this one. Look at Peter Smith. Some of you got a chance to meet him. I hope you had a chance to speak with him and his family when they were here. You know, he said he never felt this warm kind of tingling sensation that it was the right time to go on missions. He just heard the call and he obeyed. Are you sharing that with us when we went on missions? I want to suggest to you that the greatest part of doing missions, the most important aspect to make missions successful, indeed just our Christian life and ministry, is a love of strangers. A true love of strangers. If you do nothing else, develop a heart and a passion for people. Develop a heart and a passion for people. It will guarantee you to be a mature Christian, to be writing and to be walking right in life. 
And love for others is the primary pulse that we take of our spiritual life. I'm not just talking about just a, an amorphous love, but a love, I'll use the example of, of William Carey again, but you read some of his biographies and some of his autobiographies, and his heart was so great for people that it really it, it caused a physical reaction. You hear of missionaries, well, that's true. He opened up his heart and his life. It wasn't just a, a polite formality to say, hey, here I am, I'm here to serve you, do my little task and go. He opened up his whole life and ministry to people. He made himself vulnerable. And we need to have that type of heart. If you don't have that type of heart, whether you go on missions or not, then you need to seriously examine your heart and prostrate yourself before God. When we go on missions, we're bringing the feast of God's word to those who are in spiritual starvation. You know, missions is one way of, of to, use it, to use the phrase, bringing the party to those who are blind and crippled and lame. If you know the, the story which Jesus tells in the Gospels, he says, when you have a, a party that you're going to throw, he says, don't just invite your friends because they might invite you back and you might be repaid. He says, go out and invite those who are blind and crippled and lame because they can't repay you and you'll be blessed in heaven. Sometimes this is literally true, uh, that we have ministries to people who are, who are so disadvantaged that they couldn't possibly do anything physically to repay us. And I'm thankful for Sergey and Angelica and, and our ministry of mercy that we have through them to orphans in, in Russia. I think that's such an awesome thing. I hope you're thankful as well for the chance we have to be able to bless those who have such difficult circumstances, to share the gospel with them, meet their material needs as well. Sometimes it's literally true that we, we meet physical needs of people. But I want you to know, like when we went to Czech Republic, that they were awestruck by the fact. I remember on the last day of our classes there as we were teaching English, just saying to people, they're asking us, you know, what, what are you getting out of this? You know, as you're leaving, it's like, why were you here? What were you really intending to do? Why, why would you come all this way? And we were able to say to them, we're here to serve you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that you're never going to be able to repay us for that, but we want to bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be a blessing to you. And they were just awestruck that we would actually desire to do that. And you know, most of the people you'll minister to, they never will repay you. But the God of heaven does, and he will repay you. And I tell you, he repays you in this life and in the next. And the blessings from ministering, not only overseas, but here as we see the blessings of God that he repays, repays unto us. Objection number seven, I'm too old, slash single, slash married, slash young. I'll just pick on old to start with. Um, retirement. Where is that in Scripture? Where, where in Scripture is there this idea that you get to be a certain age and then you stop using your gifts and talent and time to serve the Lord Jesus Christ? Search the scriptures, you will not find that idea. It is an unbiblical idea. Some of you look really surprised that I say that. So let me just say a little bit more about that. We won't have time to really get into that. But the truth is that the Lord calls us to serve, to use our talents, to use our time. It may be that as we grow older, that we begin to tire physically. We don't have the same kind of energy or vigor than we did as we were young and so we serve we may serve less but I want you to know that the Lord has given us our whole life to serve with him so that we might use our whole life to serve him 
And this whole idea that we're going to get to be the age of 65 and then retire and just hit the golf course all the time and maybe cruise into church every, every other Sunday, that is an entirely unbiblical notion. It has no place in Scripture. And I think it is an awesome thing. And I know there are people who are doing this today. My friend, his parents, they got to be about 60, 62. And instead of retiring and starting to just travel just around the world as they had planned before, they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take our life savings and we're going to take everything that we've worked for and we're going to invest it in God's kingdom. We're going to take everything we have and we're going to go to Haiti, one of the poorest countries in the world. I just met someone at Master Seminary this past week who came literally with a shirt on his back from Haiti just to come and to study the Word of God and to go and to teach it. And it is an amazing thing, but it is a very poor nation. And they said, we're going to go there and we're going to uproot everything, get away from our, ch- our church, our friends, our family, and we're going to go and we're going to serve the God in, in Haiti as long as the Lord God gives us strength. And that's exactly what they're doing. And I think it's an awesome thing. It is an amazing thing. Where in scriptures do we find that the youngest, most inexperienced people do missions? If you study the, if you study the course of the gospel through the book of Acts, who do you find doing missions? Do you find in the youngest people who are typically single and, and with the least amount of experience and maturity? How about the Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul was the flag bearer for the new Christian faith. And yet he was the preeminent evangelist. And you see that pattern that it's actually those who are the most mature and those who have the most wisdom and who can best model the Christian life to those who are in other countries and other places in the world where the gospel hasn't been preached. It's those who are sent. It's sadly, but it was true that there were some prominent missions agencies and organizations that used to exclude people after a certain age. And it wasn't even that old. It was like 30-something or whatever. And this may still be true, actually, of some missions organizations. If you know about that, let me tell me afterwards, because I'm curious to know if that's still true for some. It used to be true, uh, I believe, for like New Tribes Missions Organization. It's not true anymore. And I delight that this unbiblical error has been corrected. Because those who have the most to offer are those who have the greatest and most mature faith. And it's our responsibility as, as pastors and elders to be building up a new generation from our midst and for us to be going. So, Bob, you're looking at me like this is a big surprise. You're going on missions. You didn't know it. <laughs> but it is our responsibility to be building up the leadership of the next generation and then taking the torch and going outside the camp and doing, different, doing something different, doing something amazing, using the the gifts and the talents and the things that we've learned over the years and sharing them with the church universal. That is the picture and that is the pattern which we find from the scriptures in the New Testament. I'm going to pick on single people now. We have a romantic myth, some of us do, of the single lone missionary taking the gospel to the savages of wild, uncharted territories. You know, I don't know, maybe this doesn't have as much of an influence in this group, but it does in some circles. And through the generations, there has descended, as part of the lore and the mystique around the missions enterprise, this idea that missions is best suited to those who are single, and typically kind of the prototype is the single young male. Now, it is true that in the early days of modern missions, 
in the late 1700s to the early 1800s, many of the missionaries were single men, relatively young. But the reason for this is at that time, there really was no other way to go. I'll give you an example. I think it was William Carey or one of his contemporaries, who, who by the way, was uh, instrumental in bringing the gospel to the country of India, had a tremendous ministry. When he asked one of his elders or one of the spokesmen, prominent churchmen in his denomination in England about missions and told him, I want to go and I have a heart to preach the gospel to people in India. You know how the old man responded to him? He said, if God will save the heathen, then he's going to do so without your help, without your presumptuous help. Can you imagine that? This man had such a stilted view of the sovereignty of God that he believed that we have no part to play in fulfilling the Great Commission. What an incredibly unbiblical idea, and yet it is true. God have mercy on his church, and he does, but if there was one time when the church did not believe that we have an active part to play in missions, and those who believed that the gospel should be taken to the uttermost part of the earth, they were in the distinct minority. They were very few. They were one or two out of a hundred. And so there was no support. There was no reliable support from churches. There were the very few, usually solitary, missions-minded few, who were solitary, not by choice, but by necessity, because there were no other like-minded believers and there was no support for them. How could they take a family in the missions field? All they had was what they took with them. I'm thankful that this bias towards young single people in missions organizations is disappearing. Um, It's regrettable, though, that, that most unbelievers who hear the gospel, in most cases, uh, they hear it exclusively from younger, less mature and single people. I'm not trying to, by the way, bash on, on young single people. I think we have tremendous uh, opportunity to serve and use our guests overseas too. Um, but what should be the gracious exception for a long time in missions was in fact the general rule. And so I want you to know, I'm just thankful for the Smiths, thankful for an example of like a family, uh, thankful for the Coils, Thankful, like when we went to the Czech Republic, there was another family, the Campbells, who were there too, who were willing to do it different. Who were willing to go against the grain. As the author of Hebrews says, go outside the camp. You know, there's this kind of culturally ingrained idea within the church that you become married and you just continue your ministry wherever you are. And I want to, I want to talk to you, just, I'll just pick on the Campbells, this one group who came from Australia and ministered with us in Czech Republic. They have a young son Boy, I think he was like maybe not even two years old when we were there. And they did it different. They picked up and he, they just said, we're going. We're going to go support the Smiths. And they just went. And they took whatever they had and they brought it over there. And, they're, and now um, David Camel, I remember he sent the emails. He's trying to get passports for himself and for his wife and for their young son. And going through at the time when most people are just saying like, you know, Let's try and buy, buy a new baby crib. And they're, they're, they're just trying to get settled and survive in this, in this totally new country. And they did it. They did it different. And I think that is an awesome thing. I wish there were more examples that we have like that. Um, so just an encouragement to you who are, who are married too, uh, especially to you as husbands, that you can model love in your family just as Christ loved the church in a unique way, in a very unique way. We saw this you know, as we went just the Smiths. There, you have to admit, I think even the unbelievers who came saw that there's something different about the Smiths. Just to see a family, just the love between husband and wife there, the love of the children, the respect the children had under their parents, it was an awesome thing. 
But regardless of your situation, single, married, young, old, use it for Christ. There's, there's, there's an opportunity in missions to do one thing or the other. It doesn't matter. Single, married, young, old, there's, there is a place. And I just want to encourage you not to think that your life situation somehow inhibits you from using all that you've been given for the glory of God. Objection number eight. Short-term ministry, short-term missions. Isn't that the work of professional missions organizations? And so, I, again, I just want to just place another caveat here that you know, my, I'm not here to, to bash on, on professional missions organizations in any way. In fact, professional missions organizations, groups like New Tribe and Young Life and uh, YWAM, have historically played a distinct and important role in the development of modern missionary efforts. Uh, there are some vital mis- ministries today which would be very difficult for a single local church to pursue without combining resources with other organizations. I think a great example of this is, is Wycliffe. How many of you know Wycliffe, the organization Wycliffe? Really, only half of you. Get to know Wycliffe. This is, this, they are on the front lines. They're an awesome organization. And what they do is they send people out into places in the world where the Bible has not been translated into the, into the local language. And they make an long-term investments of about 15 to 20 years sending trained linguists to go learn the language and translate the original Greek text into the native language of that area. Tremendous ministry. Tremendous ministry. And so they're able to pull resources across the world, different linguists and people have been trained in, in different language groups. It would be impossible, literally, for one local church to be able to do that kind of a ministry. And Wycliffe is a great example because they understand the role of the parachurch and the local church. Everything that they do is to support the local church wherever they go. They partner with churches. They partner with Grace Community Church. They may partner with us one day, God willing. But um, they're an awesome example of a, of a professional missions organization. But I want you to know that most of these, these organizations respond in the vacuum that was left by the unfaithfulness and the apathy of the established church. As I was saying, in the 1700s and the 1800s, there was very little to no interest in most of the mainline Christian denominations in missions. And so they developed because there was just such a great need and because the established church was neglecting the Great Commission. And so what they've decided, their, their intentions, their aspirations were noble, they were admirable. But nevertheless, there are some limitations to a professional missions organization. One is just doctrinal solidarity. Um, I'll just say doctrinal solidarity. The second is discipline and discipleship. And I can't tell you uh, how many people I've, I've spoken to who have come back from missions and said, uh, for instance, we were on the field and one of the people we went out with started to get way off track and just saying stuff that was completely heretical. And we had no authority or no right to be able to say to this person, you can't do that. And so in terms of doctrine, these groups have to necessarily be very kind of broad and encompass a lot of different belief systems. Um, It's hard to discipline someone when you're on the field and you don't have a direct spiritual oversight over that person. But thirdly, it's just discipleship. I think it's the most important one. I've heard this so many times. When I went on a trip, now that we're all back, it's like we started something that we can't finish. And so the, the missions effort started with preaching the gospel, but the long, hard work of church planning, church building, 
leadership development was left unfinished and undone. Now, when we as Cornerstone go as a team, when we go, we go as a team with the prayer, the financial support of our church. We're investing in our missionaries and their work there for the long term. And we have no intention of withdrawing our support from them. We're going to stand behind them and trust in the Lord to do an amazing work there. And we're going to be behind them as long as they're preaching the gospel and doing it with sincerity. And so we have this, this uh, awesome privilege just to be able to come year after year and be able to support them and their work. So short-term, uh, or I should say professional missions organizations have a distinct role to play still today. We applaud their efforts in the, in the gospel ministry. But the work of missions is the work of the church. Jesus says, I will build my church. He did not say, I will build my parachurch. The work is of the church for the church. Objection number nine, going on missions is dangerous. My answer to that is, yes, it is. Does that surprise you? Going on missions is dangerous. I don't know how many of you have... uh, Listen to any of the messages by, by John Piper. I hope you, I hope you have. His, his, his material is excellent. One of his messages uh, that he preached at uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church, doing missions when dying is gain. If you ever have a chance to listen to his sermon, doing missions when dying is gain, I, I heartily encourage you all to do that. But one of his central, uh, one of the central things that he, he is just trying to combat in, this, in his message is this idea that we're living the Christian life, this middle-class American Christian life, and the whole goal is just to be comfortable and safe. We live in kind of this, the myth of, the, of this bubble of middle-class America where everyone is supposed to be safe. We're trying to look for security, financial security, physical security, security for our old age, security for our children. This is not the attitude of the Apostle Paul who says, I count all things as loss, as scubalon, as rubbish, as filth. Was the Apostle Paul seeking to find security? No, he, he intentionally placed himself in harm's way. Now, am I suggesting to you that you, that you ought to go and go to some place where you know that they're, they're just looking to butcher up Christians? No, that's not my suggestion to you, but I want to suggest to you that if you want to be true to the call of Christ... I will tell you that you will place yourself at some point in a situation where you would perceive there to be some harm to you in some way. It's very likely, in fact, I would say that it's almost inevitable, almost inevitable for most of us. If we're truly going to be, uh, if we're going to be treated to the call that we have for missions today, most of the places you go into missions today, the so-called closed countries, where did that idea come from? What, what, what uh, country is closed? Is it closed because... Uh, we call the close. Muslim countries today, people who are Christians are persecuted. In the Sudan today, if you're a Christian, you live in terror of Muslims who come and mutilate Christians. Is that a closed country? I, don't, I think it's an open country. But we have to have a willingness to suffer the same way Jesus did, the, way, the same way he calls us to do, the same way that Paul did. Is this too radical? I, I think this is strictly biblical. God calls us to be willing to go and have a heart and a passion to want to do it. <laughs> I remember when I was at, a few years ago, as I was getting ready to go on, a, on this mission trip, actually before I was even getting ready to go, 
There's a, a pastor at Grace Community Church by the name of Nick Amatuccio. Italian guy. is a, one of my favorite people to this day. You will not meet a more humble, more dedicated man of God. Loved the Lord, loved people. Just exuded grace. And yet he was this uh, Italian guy and he comes up to me and he says, I'd never gone on, on a foreign mission before. He says, I want you to lead this mission trip to Croatia. And then he walked away. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Does this uh, come with an instruction book? But he challenged me to, he challenged me to go. And I wasn't ready for what happened next. We started to, to get some of our team together. And then I started getting the phone calls. It was from the parents. The reason they were calling me is because we were going to Croatia. Well, it turns out that two countries over in Bosnia, they had just had a civil war. It was just getting, the, the time I think we're planning to go, it just ended. And I cannot, I cannot tell you how hostile these parents were. How could you possibly take my son and daughter to a place like this? I was like, well, ma'am or um, sir, we're just going to go preach the gospel. There's, there's actually no hostility where we're going. Yeah, I know, but in that part of the world, I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready for that at all. These needlessly, this needless hostility to the gospel. I want you to understand again, I'm not, I'm not saying be reckless. I'm saying at least be thoughtful. At least, at least weigh out what you're, what you're sacrificing, what you're willing to do, and think about it seriously. Um, objection number 10. I don't have anything to learn or to gain from this experience. I have nothing to learn or to gain from this experience. So this is just my personal appeal to you. I'll say that as you go on missions, you will learn about people and culture in a way that you never possibly could if you go as a tourist. I've been to Europe now, I think, four, maybe five times, uh, twice on missions. And uh, there was one time I actually traveled, I think it was about two and a half months through most of Europe, and it was a fun time. But I want you to know that my travels in Europe don't even compare, don't even start to compare to the kind of experience that I had when, this past summer when we went to the Czech Republic. It was an awesome time, and we got to know the Czech people and that country in a way that somebody who goes as a tourist is never going to be able to do it. So don't just plan a vacation, just uh, hustle and bustle from one museum to another. You're not even going to remember half the places that you go anyways. Um, you really want to, you want to be blessed Consider short-term missions. Consider visiting a missionary. If you're going to go, if you are going to plan a vacation, possibly to Europe, just, just think about visiting our missionaries out there. Uh, you will be blessed to see the bona fide spiritual growth of believers, to see the conviction of unbelievers, uh, if they're atheists in Czech, or just to see Catholics who are just held in bondage in Ireland and in the UK, to see them come and hear the liberating message of the gospel. It's an awesome thing. You'll be blessed. You'll remember and experience blessings from that trip more than you would had you just gone just simply for leisure. Let's just pray and just, just ask the Lord now just to seal to our hearts just in earnestness as we consider just what place it is that the Lord has called us to, to minister. Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we, we thank you so much for the, the awesome work which you're doing in saving people all over the world. 
We thank you, Lord. We have a passion to see Lord, just the uh, just white-hot worship of Christ, not only here in, our, in Garden Grove and in Orange County, but we desire to see it in the Czech Republic, in Ireland, in Russia, in wherever your Holy Spirit would lead us to go and to have a part to play in seeing the gospel proclaimed. Oh Lord, our heart and our passion is to see those, those who have not known the great glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, to see them come to repentance and faith in Him, to see those who are blind and spiritually dark, to see those who are crippled, crippled by their own sin and their rebellion against You, to experience the liberation that comes through the Gospel, true liberation, not the liberation that's a social liberation, a physical liberation, a social gospel. We don't desire people just to, just to have nice things the way we do here in this country. We want them to have Christ. We pray, Father, that as we go, that our heart would be to serve and to minister to people, to minister to their true needs, meet their physical needs, but also to grant them Christ, to grant them the gospel, that we would be faithful to proclaim it. We thank you for the Smiths. We thank you for the Coils. We thank you for Sergei and Angelica in Russia. People who've understood the priority of the call to missions in their lives. Thank you so much for them. We pray, Father, that you grant them great boldness, great encouragement. I pray especially for the teams that might go out this summer and for those whom, in whose hearts you're working even now. I pray that their motivation to go would be simply just to see the Lord Jesus preached, to see unbelievers come to salvation. I pray, Father, that you would just do an amazing work. Lord, I just pray for uh, our missionaries. Lord, I just pray that they would uh, just be amazingly blessed as we go. I pray that uh, you would just work out all the logistics for all the missions of planning and preparation that might happen in the next few weeks. And I pray most of all, Father, that you would work in each individual heart here, showing us what, what part we have to play, what part we have to play in the spread of the gospel what part we have to play in the building up of the most glorious church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, we, we thank you for your grace towards us. We just pray our hearts will be open, our hearts will be yielded to your pleasure. Lord, I just thank you for these believers here who, whose desire is to serve you. And Lord, we just pray as we grow together, one step at a time, day by day, line upon line, precept upon precept, we pray that you would teach us, you would be patient with us, as little by little we're transformed in the image of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our heart. That's our hope. Lord, we just pray these things now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.